to Philippians chapter 1. Our text this morning is verse 21 through verse 26. Please hear the Word of God. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father, as we have opened and read Your Word, now I pray You would also add Your blessing to the hearing of it in order that we might be built up in our faith, that we might progress uh, in our growth in grace with joy and bring glory and honor to our Savior and King, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Last weekend, I took my son to see the Avengers. It was a great movie. There was not even a hint of romantic sappiness in it. It was a wholesome movie filled with big explosions and great fight scenes. The only negative was trying to decide what type of Coke product I was going to drink during the movie. <laughs> they, uh, they, the, the more modern uh, conveniences we have, the more complicated our lives become. Uh, Coca-Cola has come up with what they, they're calling the uh, Coca-Cola Freestyle Machine. Uh, it features 127 different flavors of Coke products. Uses a touch screen to um, to present you the exact flavor that you want. Just under the Diet Coke um, flavor, you can have regular Diet Coke. You can have Diet Vanilla Coke. You can have Diet Cherry Coke. You can have Diet Cherry Vanilla Coke. You can have Orange Diet Coke, Raspberry Diet Coke, or Diet Coke with Lime. And then all of these choices also come um, with, uh, non, with no caffeine, if that's what you would like as well. All of these... Um, are, well, it was, it was very stressful for me <laughs> to try and make up my mind especially when you're trying to get back into the movie, you don't want to miss anything. I ended up selecting Cherry Vanilla Mr. Pib Zero. (laughs) Next time, I think I'm going to uh, select a Sprite with a great flavor. But this decision, um, as complicated or stressful as it was, is really... Typical of the decisions we make each day. They matter to us in the moment, but rarely uh, have life and death implications. In our passage, the Apostle Paul was wrestling with the decision, but this decision was with life or death. 
Yet He made this decision with much less stress uh, than we typically make uh, in our mundane day-to-day decisions that we are typically faced with. So Paul here in verses 21 through 26 is wrestling with this decision. And his decision is, I really desire, or his dilemma rather, is I really desire to die and to be with Christ. But it is important for me to remain and to continue to um, to bless the church in Philippi. He, it is his sincere desire to die. He desires to depart this life and be with his Savior. He knows that while he's living here on this earth, he's missing out on that deepest of fellowship, that deepest of joys that he can have with seeing his Savior face to face. So we'd like to be away from his body and at home with the Lord. And his desire to be with Christ is not a passing desire. It's his deepest longing. It's his heart's yearning. Look at verse 23. Verse 23, he says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. The word here for desire in verse 23 is the Greek word epithumia. It's the same word that's used for um, for when someone is lusting after a temptation. And so we could even translate it. Paul is, I wouldn't say lusting, but he is longing, yearning at his deepest heart level to die. Because he knows that to die means that he will be with his Savior. And although Paul's desire is strong, there's nothing negative about it. It's a godly desire because Christ is his goal. There are people who desire to leave this life in order to escape responsibility or to to escape hardship or pain, to desire to leave this life for those reasons is not a godly desire. It might be understandable that they would want to leave. Um, but it's, it's not what's going on with Paul. He simply and sincerely longs to see His Savior face to face. And Paul also knows that there is gain to be had with death. So verse 21, for me to live Christ, to die gain. Paul knows that at death, Christians are always going to gain. The moment we depart this life, we are with Christ. More quickly than I can tell you that we are going to be with Christ the moment we die, we are there. The 
self-same instant that you close your eyes in death, you open them in the presence of Christ. And when you get there, you'll be able to look into the dear eyes of Jesus Christ. You'll be able to walk with Him as you presently walk with your best friend. You also have in heaven awaiting you an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is infinite blessing that's just there waiting on you. Furthermore, you're going to get to see dear Christian friends and relatives that have gone ahead of you. I believe it will be a celebration like nothing you've ever experienced here in this life. And not only that, you'll never experience temptation again. You'll never experience anger or fear again. Every tear will be wiped from your eyes. You will live in a state of inexpressible blessedness that will never end. The Apostle Paul says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has been able to conceive what God has prepared for those who love Him. When you come to the very end of eternity itself, you'll realize that you have eternity to go. And there will not be one unhappy thought not one disturbing circumstance throughout all eternity. Death for the Christian is always gain. Kent Hughes said, Death for the Christian is always far better than life on earth. Whether you are nine months old, nine years old, or ninety-nine years old, I believe that Kent Hughes is right. I believe that with all my heart. But Paul, even though he is contemplating life in heaven, life with his Savior, and he knows that it is gain, he's also contemplating his need to stay here on earth. And this idea of staying here on earth was not a negative thought for Paul since for him to live was Christ. For him, every moment that he was living here on earth was an opportunity for him to live for Christ. He breaks down his dilemma between his desire to be with Christ and his desire to stay here on earth. Uh, in verses 23 and 24. So look at the the, the Scriptures with me. He says, I am hard-pressed, verse 23, between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Essentially, he's saying, it's better for me to die. It's better for you for me to continue living here on earth. And when he analyzes it like that, you know what his decision is going to be. He puts his desires aside for the sake 
of the saints that were living in Philippi. He put his desires aside for the sake of the church and the gospel. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. So he says, for me to go on living, it's going to mean fruitful labor for me. Well, now I have a question. How does Paul know that he is going to be fruitful if he continues to live? I mean, the man is in jail. The man is is literally chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. How can he be so confident that if he continues to live, that he will continue to live um, a fruitful life for Jesus Christ? You know, I know some uh, some in our congregation who are younger that think that they can't be fruitful until they gain some more maturity. I know others in our congregation who are reaching the twilight of their lives that think that they can't be fruitful because they don't have the energy that they used to. And I still know, I know of still others in our congregation who are raising children and working hard at their careers and they think that they can't be fruitful because they are too busy. So how can Paul be so confident that he will be fruitful? Because Paul knows that every Christian, regardless of age, regardless of circumstances, can be and will be fruitful. I was talking with a person uh, this week who's struggling to live the Christian life. No matter how much effort they put in in trying to live the Christian life, no matter how much effort they put forth uh, to be a Christian, it seems like the bigger mess that their life becomes. And we, as we talked, it became evident that they viewed the Christian life as, as something you've got, something to be attained when you are finally sincere enough in your faith so, for instance, their view is, I'm here, the Christian life is here, and I, by the sincerity of my faith, need to get myself here. And they've been working at it. And life has become more and more troublesome the harder and harder that they work. So they've been working trying to be sincere enough, trying to repent thoroughly enough, trying to pray hard enough so that they can become a Christian. And as I listened, I realized what's happening is they're putting the cart before the horse. To become a Christian, you simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. It seems too simple. But that's it. You must believe everything that Jesus says about you is true and everything He says about Himself is true. Jesus says, you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. When He says you're a sinner, He doesn't mean that you simply have this one area of your life that's out of whack, that's in rebellion to God. 
That's not what he's that's that's not what he's saying. But that's the way most people take it. Well, I've got I've got my sins. I understand I've got my sins. Uh, some people might see it as smaller, other people might see it as bigger, but this is the area of my life that God's not pleased with. And so uh to be saved, they expect Jesus to come and deal with this area of their life. And then when he deals with this area, they can be saved. Here's the problem. If you have a small view of your sin, even if you have a bigger view than most, the problem is you also have a smaller view of your salvation than Jesus does. Because the way people think of it is Jesus comes into this area of my life, however big that area is, and He deals with it. But that's not what Jesus is saying when He says you're a sinner. What He's saying is your whole constitution is sinful. The whole of your life is in rebellion to God and is displeasing to Him. But here's the good news. If you have a big view of your sin and you go to the Lord Jesus, you will also have a big view of His salvation. You'll have a belief in Christ's salvation that is big enough to meet your need if you see yourself as Jesus says you are. You go to Him, you'll know that He is able to meet your need. You know, I struggled to be a Christian for many months while I was a freshman in college. And I would do all the, 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 the Christian things. I would do everything that, that a Christian should, could, should do. Except I was also living a double life because I was trying to do it on my own. I didn't have the, the resources necessary in myself to, to live the Christian life. But I was making a good effort at it. The more I tried, the bigger mess that I made of my life. The more I ended up realizing I couldn't do it. And what ended up happening was I finally understood the enormity of my hypocrisy. At first, the good things I was doing, going to church, trying to help other people, well, that was covering over my hypocrisy. Finally, I realized, well, I had all this effort and it, it, it far... Um, it was far more effort than many uh, true Christians put into their life. But I had this whole other train of hypocrisy. And that train of hypocrisy ended up being a train wreck. And I just said, God, I can't do it. Um, God, I don't deserve to be saved. If You don't save me, I won't be saved. Please save me. The enormity of my sin was matched and overcome by the enormity of Christ's salvation. What did I do to get it? (laughs) Nothing. All I did was trust it in Christ because I couldn't turn anywhere else. That's the Christian life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems so simple. 
And it's simple, yet it's profound. You can't save yourself. That's why Jesus came. You know what? I still know that I am a big sinner. And I know that I need Him every day, every hour, every minute, every second. You know, I think... I know Christians, and I've even struggled with this, when Paul says he is the chief of all sinners, he's the biggest sinner that ever lived. I've never really understood it, even though I've read explanations. Until this week, I was thinking this through. And I realized, Paul embraces the fact that he is a gigantic sinner because it magnifies the grace of the Lord Jesus and reminds him just how much he needs the grace of the Lord Jesus. And it reminds him not to rely on himself, but on God's grace. So, you must believe what Jesus says about you. You must also believe what He says about Himself, that He is God Almighty who took on a human body in order to die for human beings. You must believe that He is the only Savior for sinners. That His death was the perfect sacrifice of infinite value. That He paid the full price for His people's sins. And that He rose from the dead and is seated in heaven, ruling and reigning over us, mediating for us continually. Believe what He says about you. Believe what He says about Himself. Entrust yourself to Him. And when you believe on Him, something marvelous happens. You don't know what's happening, but it does happen. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your soul. He connects you to the grace of Jesus Christ. And as the Holy Spirit connects you to the grace of Jesus Christ, your desires start changing. You start to hate your sin. You start to... You start um, to love thinking about Jesus. You start to love reading the Bible. You start to love helping other people know about Jesus. See, we put the cart before the heart, a horse, and we say we have to do all these things to have this relationship with Jesus. Trust in Him. Then you're connected into the power source. And He starts working in you. I remember when I was, I was in Uganda and we were talking to a, a, a group of people and, and while we were talking to them, they had a, an, an old gorge that they had hollowed out and they had some homemade brew inside the gorge. And so they're drinking it as we're talking and the lady in front was, uh, she was inebriated. Uh, she was past inebriated, frankly. And um, But we were talking and talking through the, uh, a translator, and she said, how can you expect me to be saved when I'm getting drunk right when I'm talking to you? And I said, you don't need to take a bath um, to get cleaned up. Is that the right way? Is that the way I said it? And what I was telling her is you don't need to clean yourself up um, in order to come to Jesus. Rather, you come to Him and He cleans you. 
I knew I shouldn't say anything unless I have it typed out in front of me. But that's what we often do. We try and clean ourselves up to come to Jesus. That's wrong-headed. Come to Jesus. Let Him clean you up. Let Him have His power at work in you. And you will start changing. Um, Your whole lifestyle will begin to be different. But it will be natural because it will be His power at work in you. Trying to do the Christian life by your own effort is a futile exercise. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then He will empower you to live for Him. All that to say, or all that is to say, that Jesus is the source of your faithfulness, or rather your fruitfulness. Uh, you trust in Him and He will make you fruitful. If you're not fruitful, then by definition, you're not connected to Jesus. So Paul knows that. Um, since he is connected to Jesus, here in verse 22, it means that he will live a life of fruitful labor as he continues to live in the body. Axiomatic. And being connected to Jesus also means, surprisingly, that you become less important to you. You start living for bigger things than you. You start living for Jesus who came to earth not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. And so your attitude becomes His attitude because the Holy Spirit is living inside you. So you stop living for yourself. You start living for others. Look at verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul realized that. He realized also that you are happiest and most fulfilled when you are spending your time blessing others. As we move to the conclusion of this passage, I want you to look at verses 25 and 26. Paul concluded, Paul made the decision that he was willing to put off the glories of heaven, put off his desires to go to heaven, in order that he might be a blessing to the Philippian Christians. What did Paul want to do for the Philippians? Paul was not going to simply put off heaven, postpone heaven, or be willing rather to postpone heaven for some vague, general blessing that he could give to the Philippians. He had a very specific plan, and this plan would give, all, give, fall, give a twofold result. Look at verses 25 and 26, and you'll see his plan. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my comings to you again. So he had this specific plan that would give a twofold result. He's remaining for the Philippians. Look at this, verse 25. For their progress and joy in the faith. He's telling the Philippians that he is willing to not go be with Jesus right away so that he could help them grow as believers. He wants them to know and love more about the truth of God. He wants 
to see their lives reflect more of the character of God's Word. He wants them... Uh, He wants to see them living their faith in Christ before the watching world. He wants to see them loving each other in the church. He wants them to grow in their trust in Christ. And He knows that He will be able to assist them in this manner. He knows that growth in grace will truly make them happy. So He is continuing for their progress and their joy in the faith. Let me ask you, does our appetite for, our interest in, our enthusiasm about growth and grace match that kind of commitment uh, that we see here in the Apostle Paul? The second result So the first result is that they would uh, continue to progress um, in in um, in their faith and joy. The second result uh, that will that will come from his lingering here on earth is that he wants to see the Philippians give glory to Jesus Christ. Look at verse twenty six. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. We were created by God to worship. Christ is worthy to receive all worship. So Paul's aim is to help the Philippians do exactly that. And I believe this helps us narrow our focus for what we should be doing here at Westminster Presbyterian Church. It should also help you know what you should expect from our ministry. Our priorities must be for your progress and joy in the faith and for your giving glory to Jesus Christ. That's it. We must help you grow spiritually and help you worship God. Everything else is extraneous. Let's pray together. Almighty God, help us to be focused on Jesus Christ. And in so doing, grow in His grace. Progress with joy in our faith. And give You the glory that is Yours and You so rightly deserve to receive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.